Hi, I'm Peter Anthony. And I'm Steve Angel. You're listening to Men With Spirit. Join us as we explore what it means to be a modern man and to live a spirited life. G'day and welcome to this 31st episode of Men With Spirit at Radio Karam. And this is a show where we encourage men to get out of their heads and more into their hearts, to be more authentically connected with themselves and with others. And uh, I'm a Peter Anthony and I'm here today with my co-host Steve Angel. G'day Steve. G'day Peter, how are you? Excellent, we'll come back to that in a sec. Um, and our special guest for this show is Sonia, Tal- uh, Sonia Tallarida. Um, welcome Sonia. Thank you so much. That's okay. Um, it's great to have you here and we'll get a more comprehensive uh, intro in a sec. But uh, first Steve and I give a We've been having a little bit of um, an update on how our lives are going and how we're feeling. So, you've been a very busy boy, Steve. Just how are you? the last few days, yeah. So, I've just flown in from Perth this morning. The Red Eye Special. Yes. So, if I am feeling a little, sound a little tired, that's the reason why. <laughs> but no, I'll be excited. Once the conversation starts and, you know, I'll get my, you know, my energy back up and I'm sure it's going to be a great conversation. Um, uh, everything else is going really well uh, in life. Things are just moving along. I, I mentioned it last week. I feel like the year is moving faster and faster through to the end yep. and, and trying to play catch up. But everything else, though, I have no news for renovations this week, so don't <laughs> You've ask You've been too me how busy to going. do that, yeah. <laughs> uh, how are you, Peter? Uh, it's been hectic, busy. I, uh, I foreshadowed last week that uh, I had a birthday yesterday, which was great fun, so I've been Dude, busy. Happy birthday for thank, that. Thank you. It was, uh, and uh, you and Elka very kindly arranged a uh, birthday cake. So I spent the, uh, the night last night with the guys in the men's group, Men mm-hmm. with Spirit in uh, Frankston. We had a great time. So that was really nice. So, so you couldn't be there in the spirit. You no. weren't there in, in I was physical there in the form, cake. but you were there in, uh, in spirit yes. via the cake. So thank you very much for that. Um, and I've had some interesting discussions this week around values, as it turned out, which was part of the reason we, uh, we decided to tackle this uh, topic this week, including a discussion with a, a young person. So that was uh, an interesting discussion. So I'm feeling good, uh, very um, uh, satisfying, and um, yeah, um, it's nice to stretch yourself to do things that you're passionate about absolutely good okay um what uh what we'd like to do in in this show is the topic is um the alignment of values in organizations and uh, if you recall i think it was episode 15 we had uh, many uh, many rows in we're talking about personal values Mm -hmm. so this is sort of a an extension of that discussion looking at more from the organizational point of view and um the potential uh, mismatch of values between the individual and the organization and what do you do in that circumstance and what's prompted this was uh, I foreshadowed this I suppose in last week's show with Ian uh, I should just point out just as a, in parenthesis uh, Ian's uh, show Ian Rogers show on um, the underrepresentation of men uh, in spiritual work it's currently rating ninth globally on the uh, community radio uh, uh, mm-hmm. rankings, which is really good. So there's obviously a fair bit of interest out there on men and spiritual work. Anyhow, that's just in parenthesis. But I did mention last week something about the um, the CEO of the uh, Essendon Football Club 
and there was a debate going on, still ongoing, I think, um, about individual values and beliefs and, and potential uh, conflicts or perceived lack of alignment with organisations. And I thought it was an interesting subject to pursue, uh, just to discuss the whole issue of the interaction of um, personal and organisational values and are they congruent or in alignment or not. And if they're not in alignment, what do you do? Mm-hmm. So, and our guest today is an expert in this whole issue of organisational values. Sonia, would you like to explain your background and what sort of uh, work you do in the values area um, uh, within organisations of different sorts? Sure, I'm happy to. And I'm giggling as you're talking about football as one of the main reasons to bring me on because (laughs) anyone who knows me knows that I was one of the people who said, what, who's in the grand final? And everyone's like, what colours are you wearing? So, Uh, however, you're quite right. It is a really topical conversation at the moment. So, mm -hmm. for lots of other reasons, which I'm sure we'll get into. So, my background, I work predominantly or have worked for the last 20 years or so with lots of different organisations on trying to find ways to reignite their cultures and to connect people with each other within those organisations. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, may that, the way we do that predominantly is through values. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, from my perspective, values is a philosophical conversation. And if we could have more philosophical conversations in the workplace, we'll be able to really shift the way people think and feel at mm-hmm. the same time. And it's a conversation that's often missing. Um, so to that end, not only working with organisations, also individuals, mm-hmm. um, co-founder of Faraday Lane in Carlton, where we do counselling and values-based coaching services there mm-hmm. for individuals, and um, co-principal of Organisational Harmony, which is an, a really amazing philosophical-based and you could say spiritual tool actually to really bring out the heart and spirit of organizations and the people in them um, by aligning on values so okay well we'll come back to some of those tools uh, perhaps later in the show but in terms of what you've been doing these last 20 years or so what sort of organizations have you worked with around these sorts of themes Oh, a few varied ones. So um, everything from government departments to large retailers to banks to um, uh, media to uh, sports teams, like quite a few different and different sizes as well, which I find really great so you know some of the not-for-profits we work with for example might only have you know 40 to 60 people in them and then the next day you might be with a company that's sort of globally um, represented and has about 60,000 just within Australia so a really really it has been quite a privilege to be able to hear people's stories and to hear the similarities that people face within their workplaces, regardless, actually, of what the what the outcome of that business or what that business was mm. designed for, there's still some common things and common themes that people really yearn for in their work life. That's really interesting. I was going to ask the question, is the, the size of the organisation, are the issues or the sort of challenges different? But mm. What you seem to be saying is... There are similar issues or uh, yeah. irrespective of size or the segment of the market they're in. Yeah, one of the things that is a big secret is mm. that people will often call and say, oh, I've 
I've got this terrible problem with my team. It's quite different. We're going to need a very, very different, you know, um, solution. Mm-hmm. And um, the big secret is this, which all consultants will know. We can often use the same stuff (laughs) because the problems are very similar. So, of course, there's differences. Everybody's cultures are unique because the people within them are different and they're Mm -hmm. expressing their concerns in different ways. So, Mm -hmm. the degree to which they feel safe to express their concerns is different. The degree to which they're encouraged to talk is different. So, the context in which they're sitting in changes the way that they react to each other but ultimately if you boil it all down you start to see some very similar themes because at the end of the day everybody's a person um and it it doesn't change and what are some of those themes sonia that mm. you find Mm. So, uh, people really are yearning more and more and have done for a long time, but perhaps not expressed it the same way, uh, for finding love and fulfillment in their lives. And they're looking for this in their workplaces as well. And it's very rare that someone will be asked in an interview, you know, what do you want to achieve here? And that they will reply, I want to achieve love. Mm. However, if you have a look at it, there are different corporate ways of describing that. What they're really saying is, and similar to what you guys talk mm. about on your show, about bringing more emotion and more spirit into mm-hmm. into life. What they're really saying is, I want to feel something about where I work. Mm. We use a, a word like, I want to feel motivated or I want to feel engaged or I want to feel satisfaction. But what does that really really mean when you boil that down to 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 what creates that people want to be self-fulfilled um, they want to then bring that fulfillment into the world and share that with others and help to cr- connect so the common themes that we see are the things that block that for people right. we see people saying things like oh you know collaboration needs to be better around here um, you know, oh, people are working in silos at the moment and you know, self-interest. The meetings are pointless where they go too long. You know, you hear often, mm, oh, that mm, meeting could have mm. been an email. Well, what are people really saying? They're saying we're doing a lot of political double speak. We're perhaps doing a, a bit of sycophantic um, suck up to people behaviour to fit in. And that's what politics is all about. We're manipulating to get mm-hmm, things done. Mm-hmm. We're not speaking as honestly and directly as we would like to so therefore we're wasting a lot of time but we're too too unsure as to whether it would be valued enough for us to bring our full selves into the workplace and to talk directly to people would that be safe would i still have a place here i'm not sure we need help with that and is that problem got um, uh, if you like, worse in the whole lockdown scenario of the last couple of years and what's happened with working from home and that that type of thing. Are people mm. less connected and uh, than they were previously? What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. I'm not sure that it's got worse. I think obviously there's been a lot of pain created mm. that has not moved on. So in that way, yes, a lot mm. of people have broken. But my observation is that it's become more obvious so by removing a lot of the external noise and context you know the busyness of of commuting the distractions of the sometimes pointless meetings that people go to and not always by the way i'm not anti-meeting by any way shape or form you know a meeting is an appointed conversation it's a good thing but what's happened i think as people have been thrust into this moment of um feeling a bit a quieter life in some ways 
then their internal thoughts have become a bit louder and some of the tensions that perhaps they've been able to avoid in their life have started to scream more at them. So we're seeing people who might have self-tagged themselves as workaholics and they would say they love their work. Yeah. Uh, well, why are people workaholics? Why are they doing that? Well, they're obviously in avoidance of something else because you, any addiction is an avoidance, at just the same as work addiction is. So the things that they have been avoiding in their life, suddenly the work did not fill the space. Or conversely, we saw people then not have that break between work at all and they would just work endlessly till they dropped so people had to find different ways of coping with the tensions in their life their coping mechanisms were removed and some people managed to change that which has caused one issue now because they don't want to change back again mm -hmm. yes i think yeah we'll come back to that one yeah, yeah. Good. and other people did not and um the the things that they'd put aside they perhaps have not had the willingness to address but not only that perhaps have not had the skills and this is where i'm really interested in what you guys talk about on this program because i think there's been a great missing in corporate australia of although we do values-based programs, we do emotional intelligence programs and all those kinds of things, the fact, the very fact that as adults we need to be taught how to speak about our emotions and mm. to feel safe in expressing that honestly is a real worry. Mm. It says that something's funda some fundamentally missing in the way people are growing up and in the communities that we are exposed to in our younger lives. So um, what it's meaning is that as people are coming back to work and their emotional problems, if you like, or the emotional issues they, they've been faced with, some people now want to face them. And they're saying, I want to be an agent for change in my life and I want work to be different now. I don't know what I want instead, but I want it to be different. Then you've got the others who are like, oh, I, this, is, this is so bad, I can't even look at it. How can we make a more strongly avoidant pattern so I don't have to look at it again? And this is creating tension. Because mm, there used to be very much that um, uh, scenario where uh, people would separate their work life and their home life and, and say my in my home life these are my values this is how I behave when I go into work I'm a, a totally different person mm. my values and how I come across to people are quite different so you're saying people are now having to uh, by choice or by circumstance having to confront that and make a decision now they're going to fit in mm -hmm. to the corporate culture and those values but if there's a misalignment between the two what do you what do you do um, yeah it's quite a tension right because it's a question I often ask in our programs, you know, can someone make you have a val ha have values? Mm. Just because someone said these are the five values that our company stands by, does that mean that you drop your values when you walk in the door? Are they disposable? Mm -hmm. um, I don't believe that they are. And the way that what we look to do to create harmony in a workplace is that we look to get people to expose the tensions and the choices that sit between those values. So, for example, um, this is a conversation people aren't having mm -hmm. about values, in mm -hmm. my view. They'll talk about um, what values we hold to be important, um, what behaviours go with those values, and, um, you know, do we agree with that? And this is a, a fairly standard these days, yep. corporate conversation. Yep. But what people don't do is say, but what happens if we've got a value in this company around performance, which means profit, mm -hmm. and we also have a value around serving the community? So one is 
self-interested. One is other-interested. So if I'm sitting at the table and I have to make a decision and it's going to cost money, that therefore I'm not going to be performing, but it's going to give something to the community, how do I decide which of those mm-hmm. which of those two values holds priority in that moment? So the conversation that's missing is how do we deal with the competing tensions between the company values, number one, and the second thing, how do we, how do we manage the tension between competing values that I might have as an individual? I've signed up to the values of the company, but perhaps I have a much stronger view of a standard that needs to be held on levels of trust, for example, mm-hmm. than somebody else does. How do we negotiate that? You know, we would all agree trust is important. Nobody would ever disagree with that, I don't think. Um, well, maybe some people would. <laughs> but uh, how do we say your view of trust and mine is the same and how does that translate into the decisions that I make and the way that I show up and does it change when I go home? Mm. So you're suggesting that what what's often happening is that companies will assign values mm. and they become static in nature so therefore there's no conversation around how does that value be expressed? Because as individuals, we all come in, regardless of whether I accept the, the, the values of the company, they may be very broad in nature. Mm. And to, I will look at something like, you know, they trust, like, yeah, I accept that. But do I accept it to the level that the company wants me to accept it? And, and then you're suggesting this conflict. I guess my question, my experience is, can a company really actually have values? Mm. Should it have values? And how do you address everybody else's level of that understanding of value? Yeah. How do we do that? Yeah. Um, look, companies are definitely having those conversations about values and meanings and, uh, and meaning, which is very exciting to someone like me to be a part of that and exciting to the employees as well. So... I think let's shift that, like if we just move that back a bit, Mm -hmm. if we think about it like this, you know, what was a corporation first created for? And this is going to answer the question. Sounds like a sidebar. (laughs) What was a corporation um, first created for? It's an incorporation of a company, which means that there's been a kind of a fake person created. And that, that, um, that was created to limit accountability to individuals. So you've got an entity that's been created Mm. to dodge accountability for individuals. I'm not Mm anti-company by any way, but this is just a fact. This is what, Mm. you know, your accountant will tell you as well Mm. and why Mm. I have Mm. several Mm. company structures Mm. and, you know, Mm. we we all take advantage of this. Um, So that in itself sets up straight away a standard of values this entity is created up to be focused on managing profit and managing risk. Mm-hmm. So th- by definition, it has what we would call a lower order. And I don't like to say one value is more important than another, but you can think about it like Maslow's hierarchy yes. of needs. You know, but you've got, you've but organizations will have this uh, hierarchy of, uh, of uh, values. When you look of at course. it, you mentioned the example before about uh, profit versus community. And yeah. I'd say most organizations would probably say your expectations around profit would be a higher value than something else. That's the reality for many organizations. Well, they might. Right, you know, and this is this is the thing. Um, sometimes they say it's equal, 
but in actual fact, it's mm. not always the case. So you then have a look at the company's rules, you know, the, what we would call the bureaucracy. So the governing structures that sit around the company. And those are often very clear in terms of the standard that you're expected to hold, what mm. you will and you won't do. You know, we audit those things. We make sure that we're, we're running a company ethically in that manner. And a lot of those rules are, of course, weighted towards managing risk and ensuring that we are limiting liability or accountability. Um, And that is right and proper because that's what the company must do on behalf of its citizens who are relying on that company for their income, their motivation and a place to contribute on the planet. So it's right that it does those things. However, what that automatically means is that by its very nature, the entity that is the corporation has a different set of values than people's naturally occurring values. Of course, we have security needs and all the rest Mm. of it. That's why we go to work to uh, be able to support our families. But naturally, human beings have an urge to contribute, have an urge to connect, have an urge I mentioned before to to express and feel love in their Mm -hmm. life, yeah? And so therefore, we have this this pretend entity that's that's limiting and the, the... humans within it who want to express greater and so they say well well, i know what we'll do we'll we'll set some values in place that will help us to get there a good and proper decision in my view to start to bring humanity into the company Mm -hmm. and to bring those voices out but what we forget to acknowledge is that because we don't always have the conversation around yes we agree these values are right we agree what they mean but to what standard are we willing mm-hmm. to hold ourselves and others to account? We miss that conversation. So when people are then thrust into the tension of, do I go this way or that way? Is this got more priority or that? How do mm. I make that decision? Mm. Um, the, uh, the values are at that point ambiguous. So they will instead observe what others are doing around them. You know, what, what's the rest of the tribe doing right now? Or they'll turn to the rules. They'll say, what do the rules dictate that we do the unfortunate thing with rules because they're created to limit risk and liability is that the standard that your rules and your bureaucracy sets is much lower Mm. than the standard that a person might set in their own life so you see here the natural struggle where we're trying to raise a standard on values in an organization but we accidentally get trapped in using our our systems to regulate our behaviors, our thinking and our feeling. And I didn't think there's many people who would say, I love my systems. I love the bureaucracy here and the rules are all correct and right. There's no stupid rules. So therefore, we've got a bit of a problem where mediocrity is created by the governance structures that are supposed to raise the standards and they do on certain things, but not necessarily on values. So what's the uh, what's the solution on that particular issue? Well, I'd love to say if we just open the box here, I've got five <laughs> things ready to cope. But the solution is both simple and complex. People need to change the way they talk and think about values. And mm. I mentioned before a philosophical conversation. And uh, what I mean there is if, if people say something like, um, we are we're interested in honesty here. One would want to – sorry, I need to move my mic a little. I'm Italian, so what I'm doing that you can't see is that I'm waving my arms around like fury while I'm talking. My head's going left and right. You're very animated. I'm very uh, animated. And it's not doing good things with the microphone. So (laughs) excuse me as I just adjust my voice here. So um, I say I'll I'll naturally do it. 
So, I can't talk now. My hands are still. (laughs) My hands are still. It's terrible. Italians can't talk without waving their hands around. So, the conversation that I I think we need. So, for example, on honesty, if you asked yourself, would you hold a different standard for, say, a three-year-old or a 13-year-old or a 23-year-old on honesty, how would you decide what would be a good standard for different ages? Could you do that? Wow, that's an interesting question. Why would it need to change? Would it? Or wouldn't it? I think that from experience, I would probably allow different degrees of honesty because of the lack of experience that 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 child may have. I think that's a fault there. But why are we doing that? Why are we not saying that the three-year-old or 13-year-old, whatever, has the same level of standard of honesty it's, it's an interesting question the reality is as as um as people get into become adults and they're in the corporate world there tends to be um degrees of honesty i've, I've noticed um where people will tell little white lies or something like mm. that because it's expedient or it would hurt someone if you t- told the truth but this whole thing of speaking your truth and being honest um is uh, is a value that I subscribe to. Mm. How far do you take it? Are you absolutely honest in everything you say to everyone? <laughs> uh, and I'd say most people aren't. Um, but it's an interesting one. What's your take on it? Well, it's funny that you asked that question. I have asked many teams that exact question. You know, I see here you've got a, a value on trust or honesty or speaking out, which mm-hmm. most most of our clients do. Um, And most people would subscribe to that in their personal values as well, quite happily. But if you ask them a question such as you've Mm. just asked, Mm. you know, to what degree do you choose to be honest? People generally straight off the back go, well, 100%. Mm. But then I like to ask this question, really? Mm. And the answer to that is usually met with a little bit of um, shuffling, Mm. looking down Mm. into the side, and then one brave soul will say, oh, no, no, not really. Mm. So... That's the interesting conversation, though. Do we make that statement wrong? Because it's true. So what we ought to be doing is saying, okay, then, if you don't want 100% honesty all the time, what is the standard we agree to hold here that will suit enough each of our values and suit the context which with, which in we are with And we are also clear what the consequences would be of us engaging in this degree of dishonesty or honesty Mm. and the impact of that on the subsequent, as you rightly put, the manipulation and the Mm. politics. So now we're talking about reality instead of a dream. Mm. So it's really having those discussions and being forming your, your values and getting agreement around values based on reality and what people are prepared to sign up for. Yeah. an interesting, uh, I had a discussion with a chap the other day and he actually joined an organisation primarily because of the values they professed and he really could identify with mm. them and he subsequently joined the company and he's now finding that what they say and what they do um, aren't quite the same. Yeah. So then he's got this conflict in his own mind, well, do I stay and fit in with the company that professes one thing but does something else? Or do I leave? What do I do? So in, in mm. those sort of circumstances where um, you've been, I would say con, but you know the reality of the situation you're in is different. 
to what you're um, what you're faced with, uh, or what you believe the situation was. What, what would you do in that sort of situation, Sonia? Mm, it's it's a dilemma because, as I've identified, you know, most organisations, the people within them have asked for a higher set of values, but the mm. way that we've structured ourselves as an entity creates a tension of, of opposites. So what I would say is for this person to become very clear on what is the consequence of, firstly, what is the consequence of not living those values? And if that company, the company's values are in direct tension to their own, they will have to make a decision every day mm. when they come into that place to be someone other than themselves is that attention that they're willing to live with. Now, again, that sounds like a weighted question, but it's not a weighted question because he has a perfect right to have the choice to say, mm. yes, I'm willing to live with that because this job I do for money and I do that for money because I have things in my life that I need to achieve. And if that is the decision and the consequence and he's willing to live with the drop of values as a result – then he also has a decision to make on how he then manages that tension and to make sure that he doesn't then push that tension into aggressive or passive-aggressive behaviours or to start to create a manipulation or be, become sycophantic within the company and to, be, to live a dishonest life, if that makes sense. So how do you hold your values to the standard that you are happy with? If you can do that within that company, then perhaps it will suit the choices they've made about their life. Idealistically, we would say, if you can't live your values comfortably somewhere, then you don't belong there. But is it pragmatic? Because we need people to push hard to change values in companies. Therefore, we're always going to have people with higher values mm -hmm. who are going to feel like misfits, but they're the ones that we rely that, that on to change. Drive it. And it, it's it's not just company. We're talking about companies as an example, yeah. but of course, this applies to uh, organisations, government departments, government totally. agencies, that sort of thing. Um, I was talking to a young student just recently and they were talking about values in the school context where mm. there was a set of values and they felt that the, uh, the the teachers perhaps weren't uh, acting in accordance with those values, mm. and we, uh, so this conversation has broad applicability uh, across all sorts of different types of organisations. But the right of the individual to make a choice about what they're prepared to live with or not is their choice, and mm. they've got that right to make that choice. But and if they want to compromise their values for all sorts of reasons. Um, no, that's that's their choice to do. Yes, it. and accept accept the consequence yep. of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit like if you're in a relationship that's not a place you feel you can express yourself, but you choose to stay there, have you perhaps lost the right to complain? Mm -hmm. Because at that point that's your choice. So you've chosen to stay there for money, status, power, uh, whatever it might be that you've chosen to stay. Worry, uh, fear, you won't manage on your own. Well, you've, you've lost your right to complain. You chose that. And mm. I, I feel that it's it's not that's not exactly the same in organ, but it's, a, it's something we're not willing to look at. 
you know, we have very high expectations, but are our expectations correct given what we're walking into? Now, this is interesting because we're in transition. People are wanting more. They're wanting mm-hmm. to raise values, uh, but we're struggling in that transition period of what does this now mean for a leader? What does this now mean mm. for a member of the team? Um, how can I be myself here? I can't. And we're seeing dropping levels of motivation like crazy mm-hmm. because of that. And so what are people doing? They're either instituting more rules <laughs> Or they're trying to bring more feeling back into the workplace, but they're, they're still missing this conversation about reality and tension. Yeah. There's uh, quite a few other topics we want to cover, oh. but one, one of the things, uh, <laughs> and, uh, the reason I, I interrupt the uh, the flow there, Do Sonia, so. I did mention I'm Italian. There's yeah, a lot of no, words no, here. No, no, that's, that's fine. <laughs> one of the things we do, is, as I've explained, is we, we ask our guests to uh, share some music in terms of a bit of an insight into them. Oh, yes. Now, you've come up with a couple of uh, lovely p- uh, pieces of music, which uh, the first one of which is um, Over the Rainbow, and we're talking about... Um, dream. Well, you explain why you've chosen this song and what it means to you. This is one of my favourite songs of all time. And it has a couple of pieces of meaning for me. Um, it's one I used to sing. My sister's nine years younger than me and I uh, often took on the role of helper in my family as a, a young person. Mm-hmm. I loved my little sister and uh, like... I don't know, like my own, I think, the age of nine. Mm. I was very into that. And I used to love singing her to sleep. And this was a song I used to just sing on repeat to her. And um, the feeling of the song, I just felt so much love for her when I sang it. And many, many, many years later, the song came on and I was at my sister's house. Well, we'd never discussed this. And she just stopped what she was doing and she just smiled and she said, I love this song. <laughs> she says, I've always loved this song. It just, I always feel so loved when I hear this song. And I said, oh, I used to sing you to sleep with that song. And I could feel a little tear. But what I love about this story mm. and how it relates to what we're talking today is how so often the context around us, even if we're not aware of it, especially when we're quite young, can set such a container Mm. for the feelings that we have about things and we don't even know why. Mm -hmm. You know, when I said, oh, I used to say, she's like, really? I don't remember that. like, no, you were a baby. (laughs) So that's why I selected this song. Great song. Well, let's play it now and then we'll come back and continue our discussion. Hi, this is Matt Joe Gow, and you're listening to Radio Karam, which is local community internet radio. And uh, we were having a chat about community radio earlier and how important it is to Melbourne, how important it is to the scene here, the music scene, but also the wider community. So check out Radio Karam, tune in. Hello and welcome back. You're listening to Men With Spirit on Radio Karam with me, Steve Angel, and my co-host Peter Anthony. And today our special guest is Sonia Tellerita, who is a values coach. And in the first half of the... Uh, episode we've been talking about um, values, personal values and corporate values and this tension that is now starting to rise up uh, with what people are expecting more of uh, from their corporations and at what standards do we have, do we live up to with these values that are being proposed. So my question to you Sonia is how are you finding corporations dealing with this this pushback now from their employees who are asking more of them? Mm in terms of like what their standards of these values are? How do we live with them? How do I work in these um, environments, these corporate environments? Mm. 
I, I think what I'm really buoyed by um, is that values is a conversation that's on mm. the table in most boardrooms and um, in most leadership table conversations people recognize that values is something that will help them in this situation where they get stuck though is we get that values are important but we're not really sure how to bring that to life so people will start to look and we mentioned it earlier around things like um, behaviors or you know we'll, we'll talk about behaviors we'll do keep stop starts about how we interact and that's all really good solid useful stuff and and I've participated and run sessions around those things as well and it really it's useful but it's useful because it's getting people to drop into a more feeling state a more connected state and to talk honestly to each other about what they want and the standards that they expect from themselves and others people so these conversations are a pathway into that but as mentioned before don't draw out the tensions so what we've got is a whole lot of of leaders who want to bring their people back to work who want to bring their people into a place where they like being at their team we know that motivation also drives higher levels Mm. of productivity and um and performance and Mm. we want that and helps you to retain really good staff and talent so they know they want that but they're a little confused at the moment i think about why aren't the things that worked before working Mm. you know before when we ran emotional intelligence programs and programs about values everyone was kind of blown away by that because for the first time in a very long time or ever our leaders are saying they value our feelings and um, they want us to talk about our feelings (laughs) they want us to be ourselves at work they want us to be more authentic Um, but that was enough as a, a foundation So now we've got to move beyond the wanting and move into the doing. You know, insight without action is a bit of a waste of time, Mm -hmm. you know. You can have insight after insight Mm. after insight. And I've, you know, I'm not saying that I've nailed this in my life. Acting in the right priority is tough work. And that's the point. It's really hard work to keep growing as a person. And it's a big ask to be saying to people, for you to have a place in this organisation, you have to keep growing if the organisation's not able to grow and match that pace. Mm. And people will always move faster as individuals than the corporation and its rules and its structures. So when you look at a company that's managed to evolve past that, then you're looking at a company that's been willing to have a look at the governing structures that create tension for people and block them from being able to live their values more fully and change those at the same time. When you say the company, we're really talking about leadership here, oh, aren't yeah, we? Yeah. We really are. Because Often. the company is in and of itself, a non- it's an entity, but it <laughs> doesn't exist really. It's a nothing. It's a nothing. <laughs> it's, just, it's words on a piece of paper. So we're talking about leaders. So let's let's talk a little bit more about leaders. Mm. What does it take now for to be a leader of a corporation that is willing to stand by values and grow? Or even any organisation, a government agency yeah. or, or a school yeah. or a university. What are we asking of leaders now? Mm. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because um, if we have a look at uh, a, a performance management plan or, um, you know, succession planning, mm. we're asking for a competency in leaders now that is much more to do with managing people as well as managing context. Um, and yet 
they're not always supported to do what they feel is right for themselves. And each each person, so what we're expecting really is for a leader to decide by themselves what leadership means. So one of the things that we do with some of our programs is we will bring groups of leaders in from across an organisation. So um, not just all the leaders from this division, but leaders from multiple divisions to talk together in a united way about what do we stand for or what do we expect from each other and what does it mean to lead here, really? Mm-hmm. You know, what is the edge that we're asking our people to stand against and to, to what is the standard that we, we want to set as leaders? And for most organisations, that's the first time these leaders have met to talk about something like that. So they haven't been able to do what is really important in any change management process, which is to have the public reflection about is this okay here in this tribe or not? And what does it mean for me that I need to shift or not? So it's the peer group coming together. And that's one of the fastest ways to create change in a, in a leadership or a company like that. And I think a lot of leaders are talking to me at the moment are confused. You know, they're torn between they themselves, and we come back into now return to work mode, they themselves are torn because they've enjoyed some of the freedoms and privileges <laughs> and changes that come with being able to work with your dog on your lap. And I was very sad not to be able to bring my dog mm, in today, mm, I, mm. although I didn't even ask. <laughs> You're very rare to see me without the dog. I actually don't know what the rules are. <laughs> oh, awesome. Then we could have made our own. So um, I think that's a, a high value ought to be bring your dogs and a lot of people still do. But um, so, for example, they've, they've learned that. So they, they empathise with their people about maybe not wanting to come back to the office for five days a week. But there's, um, they're not, they know a conversation's needed. And I've had quite a few phone calls which are like, oh, maybe we just need to ask people how do we make the workplace more fun? You know, participated in an Innovation Olympics um as a facilitator a little while ago where that was precisely the conversation that was had. How do we make sure that property in the city is used? Mm. <laughs> People mm. come back to the office. And um, I just feel we're asking the wrong question. Yes. I don't think fun is what people are looking for. Well, people want love, connection, joy. And I think the alarming thing that they've just discovered is that they thought they were getting that in the teamwork and the camaraderie at work, but they have been forced to find it elsewhere in their lives and it perhaps it feels more real there. Mm. So they're asking, what's the point of coming back for that? I have that now. So what else is the reason? Mm. And, and, and increasingly it seems that uh, based on the stats and everything, a lot of people aren't returning to work. They're choosing to do their own thing of uh, rather than go back into the work situation that was there previously. Yeah, and I, I, think that's, I think that's a sad thing, actually, because, you know, although I, I've been a work-from-home person for a very long time, but there's got to be a degree of value of people working together, mm. like I mentioned before, the cross-leadership. Mm. And, you know, you pick things up when you, you see people and you feel people and you you notice that the energy's changed or it hasn't. And that just doesn't translate across a Zoom. It just doesn't. Mm. And so we're losing some of that connectedness 
that we would have in a small community, we're picking it up within our small communities. You know, I now know the names of all of the baristas in my local <laughs> street and they know mine. I think I drink too much <laughs> coffee, which is lovely. And I know all the people mm. who walk all the dogs and that's lovely. I have a lovely sense of community. But I'm now missing that connectedness with the people whom I'm sharing my career with. And the career is one of the ways that I've chosen to express who I am in the world Mm. and to share my gifts into the world. And so there's a great missing out of people's uniqueness, I think. So there needs to be a different kind of conversation about the value of of humans being with humans and Mm. and feelings. And that connectedness. And and that's the thing that we're missing out on. Can I ask a question without notice from left field here? (laughs) Um, We we talked about this misalignment of values. And the organisation says, I'm I'm doing this. Um, But if you come across something that's so egregious, so confronting to you that um, and the company or the organisation, let's say it's a government agency or whatever, isn't prepared to um, correct their ways and mm-hmm. you've tried everything under the sun. Um, the concept of a whistleblower that comes out and says um, this just isn't right and they're prepared to blow the whistle on their organisation because fundamentally it's it's a it's a conflict of values yes individually i believe this we should be honest and non-manipulative or whatever it is and my organization from the insights i've had and the knowledge i've gained is doing something quite different yeah what's the rights and wrongs of a whistleblower in this concept context to to speak up Mm. Mm, i would say how could you not i mean if you are seeing a values or an ethics breach, you must say something. You know, um, there's been a few royal commissions in the banking system, for example, lately. And, you know, I named banks as among some of my clients. So I've watched some and been alongside some of the post-royal commission conversations, shall we say, and, and how do we now translate that? into who we are as people. And I I think the key thing is if people don't speak up and say, this is not okay with me, then not only are they and they might say, well I didn't I didn't say anything, so therefore it's fine. But it's not only that you're walking by a standard, you're setting a lower standard because by saying nothing, you're saying it's okay. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing that's alarming to me is that people are so afraid at times to say something, even at very senior levels, about I don't like the way you just spoke to me. I feel that's really unequal and Mm. nasty. And you say to a very senior person, well, why wouldn't you say that to your boss? Oh, no, I couldn't say that. Mm -hmm. Why not? Mm. Well, you just couldn't. And it takes a degree of effort. And these are people with a degree of power and authority. Mm. That's not always the case. Some people are very prepared to speak up. And in in my view, it usually leads to a positive outcome in the end. Mm. But that wasn't quite your question. So I'm, I'm not sure that I'm answering that. Yeah. It, it just seems to me that um, whistleblowing is fundamentally about um, values and recognising that uh, – the organisation values aren't being adhered to Mm. and you as an individual aren't Mm. comfortable with that, therefore you speak up. 
but uh, yeah, I think that's a hot topic. I think there's a lot of mm. people I've come across anyway that seem to be um, grappling with that issue where things are going on that they're not happy with, um, but uh, they're fearful of um, speaking up and saying anything. Yeah. But it gets down to values and uh, that sort of thing. Um, the pressure, sorry, the pressure is actually on with corporate with I'm going to say corporations that we're talking about today, organisations of any any kind. Yes, especially I was at a um, I was at a uh, seminar which was on Generation Z, and they were talking about the uh, the pressure that they're placing on organisations to stand up to certain things that they believe are important, things like climate change, sustainability, you know, fair fair trade, equal pay, all of those things. And their ability to communicate their frustrations, mm. and let's just call it, you know, the cancel culture, which is very, very big, <laughs> um, and their ability to do that at a level that causes quite a ripple on social media platforms like Twitter and, and, and Instagram very quickly. What have you, what have you heard, um, speaking with your clients, about that pressure, whether it's real or perceived, it's out there in the, in, in the public discourse. How are they handling that Maybe that fear of being called out. Not terribly well. <laughs> and, and that's fair because, you know, um, my observation is that our expectations have changed. You know, we are now live in a more globally connected world, although socially disconnected in some mm, ways. Mm. So, therefore, um, these, these younger people have a privilege that I certainly didn't have when I was young to be connected to events at a speed and with some choice about what they're looking at. We just didn't have mm. that opportunity. So, they're really starting to think much more systemically about things, which is amazing. But we're talking about people who for many, many years, certainly in my generation, have given up on some of our expectations of what is possible and what is not possible. So we've kind of done what I said before. We've said, well, I'm, I'm okay to accept the, the consequence of not leaving a higher value in exchange for money. I have accepted a lower standard. Why won't you? I don't understand. Um, and it, I think it causes a personal consternation for people because then they have to question themselves as, as I've had to do and say, well, why am I now saying that's wrong? Maybe I had it wrong. Mm-hmm. I ought to have held a higher standard in my choices. I just accepted things the way that they were. And here I was thinking I was such a world changer. I was not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that, that brings us to, let's just, you know, if you were to give advice to two groups of people, if you were to give advice to those who are working into an organisation, mm-hmm. how they can be part of this conversation, this part of this move towards standards of the values and the standards within their organisation, and what would you also say then to those who are leading these organisations? What do they need to do? Mm. Uh, firstly, I think all of the people that you've mentioned need to be prepared to really understand what they stand for as individuals and mm-hmm. who they are and what it is they want to do to express themselves into the world. You know, everyone's come with something to express and to ask themselves the question, am I able to express myself and the gifts that I bring mm-hmm. here to an extent that I can feel that fulfilment? If we each of us just did that, already things would shift because some of us would move <laughs> mm-hmm. or grow mm-hmm. or give up. Mm-hmm. But at least we would be honest about the extent to which we're choosing to grow 
And that we can deal with. What we can't deal with is the delusion of pretending to grow, of the delusion of pretending to live by values, the delusion that we all agree about things and we all see things the same way. We don't. Mm-hmm. So honesty is what we're looking for here and a more philosophical discussion on standards. Mm. Yeah. And we're uh, fast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a fascinating conversation and uh, we could keep going for, for ages, Sonny, but we are running out of time. Um, and we have got a final song for you from you as well, which we'll get around to. Um, uh, just to, to wrap up, Sonia, so thank you very much for coming yeah, on today and sharing. Much. I think it's uh, a really important conversation. It is. It's an extremely one. And we finish our show off with uh, Be True to Yourself. And in essence, what this is about in terms of personal values and how you fit into a corporation or an organisation of any sort is being true to yourself. Yeah. And I think we've touched on that in a number of different ways. Um, just to wrap up to say, look, um, information and links about our shows are available on the uh, Radio Caram website, which is radiocaram.org, or via our Facebook page. And if you want to attend any of our Men With Spirit gatherings, event details, including how to register, are also on the Men, Men With Spirit Facebook page, at Men With Spirit. And you can also email us at connect at menwithspirit.com.au. So... With that, we'll go to your final um, selection of music, Sonia. Would you like to explain uh, why it's uh, important to you and uh, what it means to you? It's a Christmas carol. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're a little bit early, but... Well, I did say before that we're moving... Towards the end of the year, very fast. So let's just get there even sooner. I, I just wanted you said a song that had meaning for me, and this song has been bringing tears to my heart and my eye since mm-hmm. I was very, very little. It's always been a favourite song, mm-hmm. and it's a little drummer boy. And I love it because, you know, the little drummer boy had gifts to bring. He wanted to bring a gift and he didn't have a gift. All he had was his skill of playing the drum. Mm. And I love this because the drum, of course, is the thing that holds most songs together. And so it's very important, even though it's a little thing. And I think that it's important to remember no matter how little you think your gift is, if you give it with all your heart, then you're bringing you to the world. And this song always reminds me of that. And I hope... That in my last step in life, I'll be able to say I've done what the little drummer boy did. What a fantastic message to finish on, Sonia. So thank you so very much thank for your contribution today. Yeah. And thank, thank you, you, Steve. Thank you for And um, we'll go out uh, until next time. Uh, be true to yourself. And here's the little drummer boy. Hi, everybody. This is Wit from Spiderbait. When I'm passing through Karam, aside from slowing down to 50 kilometres an hour, and reminisces about doing the Eel Race Road Rumba or the Watley Street Wiggle, I like to tune in to Radio Karen and get down with the good vibes.